Lord, we're thankful that you are God and you are king and you are a teacher. And one is your teacher who's in heaven, Jesus said. And so, Lord, we come to you as to a faithful God, a faithful creator. Please teach us more about Jesus today. Please teach us more about what, is, what it means to follow him, our need for him, our desire to know him better. And we pray that by your spirit, we would walk with you closer, reveal this truth to us, Lord, and help us apply it in our lives. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to do that. So we thank you for what you'll do. Bless this congregation, Lord. Bless the fellowship of the saints that you dwell in the midst of us, Lord. And we thank you and praise you for it is in Jesus that we live, breathe, and have our being. And in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Who is real and who is not? What does this mean? Who is real and who is not? Well, let's see if we can get it. Paul has been ministering to... Oh, and I forgot to put my clicker on. He's been ministering to the church in Corinth. He actually planted the church in Corinth. He was the gospel preacher in Corinth. He was the founder of the church. He's an apostle. And we're dealing with around 30 years after Jesus rose again. It's in the area of Achaia, which is the southern part. Macedonia is the northern part. Achaia is the southern part. And uh, he's been preaching the gospel to them. And he had many converts. The church was uh, rather big at this point. Uh, we don't know how big the church was, but it was uh, substantial. And um, a few guys showed up. Oh, a few guys showed up. These guys, these wolves, these false apostles. And, uh, and we have gone through nine chapters already. And these guys were all about me. They were all about themselves. They were the, uh, the charismatic, powerful, miracle-working type apostles. Call them the new apostolic, the new apostles that were coming in. And they came to Corinth, and Paul writes the second letter, correcting them because they had abandoned Paul. The false apostles had convinced the church to get rid of Paul. He's not good for them. And uh, we don't even know if he is a real apostle, they were saying. So why do you have us have him around? And this is the tension and the contention that they had with Paul. The church wanted to get rid of Paul. And Paul writes back from a brokenhearted perspective. He says, what have I done to you? I love you. I care for you. I've been with you. Uh, I'm your father from the beginning. Now why are you getting rid of me? I have love for you. You have no love for me. Uh, very, very interesting. We've been, we've been reading through the relationship with Christians, the relationship with one another. We've learned quite a bit a lot. Tonight or today, we're going to read about or going to learn about who's a true minister of Christ, who's a true gospel of Christ, because this is going to be the question. Uh, the question is about a preacher, a minister, a servant. Who is a servant of Christ? Who is a true minister of the gospel? And who's not? Now, over the years here in our fellowship, we have people come and go, and that, that happens all the time. People come, people go, people move. And especially in our country nowadays, we have a lot of people exiting and exodus. There's a massive exodus going to different parts of the country, different places. And, uh, you know, in our mobile society, people don't stay in their homes a long time. I think it's the average of, what, five years and people move to another home. Might not be to another state, but another home. That's the average. It used to be 25 years, 30 years. I mean, you live kind of, you're born, lived in the same place and died in the same place sometimes. And your children were born in the same place and they inherited your house. It's kind of like that. But nowadays, it's just people don't stay around too long. And so people move to different parts. What does that have to do with this? My encouragement to always is this. When somebody moves or somebody, hey, I'm going to go and we hate to see them go and pray for them, is... Find a Bible teaching church and find godly people with you. And it is really important that people that preach the gospel live the gospel. Yes. 
not just say it, you know, and, and you must not take this assumption. Assumption number one that you must not do, just because they have a pulpit and they have a Bible, it does not mean they're true ministers of Christ, okay? And I say that for myself. I say that for everyone that stands behind this pulpit. Just because they have a pulpit and they have a Bible does not mean they're true ministers of Christ. We're going to find out from this passage here. Amen. Or in our day and age, just because they have a camera or they have a YouTube channel or they have some ministry who knows where uh, that only exists online, doesn't mean that they are either. doesn't mean that they are or that they're not. It's just... They have to have a test. Never assume that. Never assume that in our day and age that that's a true minister of Christ. What is the real test? And my encouragement to people that move or, you know, distance and stuff like that, find a Bible teaching fellowship, get to know those who teach, get to know the leaders, get to know the congregation, and, um, and recognize if you're really dealing with godly leaders, if you're really dealing with godly people, if they really are ministers of the gospel, or are they simply faking it? How do you recognize it? The Corinthians were being fooled. They were being fooled by these guys. Now, they didn't look like that. That would be easy to spot, wouldn't it? You got to show up a guy here with a suit. He looks like a wolf. Man, mass exited to the right. Uh, easy to find. They howl. Easy to find. All right, easy to know and easy to go. However, they don't almost uh, never always, never has they hardly ever look like that. They actually look very, very nice. They are actually very charismatic. They actually have great, great personalities. And uh, they're very convincing, and so they're able to bring along people after themselves. So they were trying to get Paul out because he wasn't a good speaker, they said. These guys are great. Paul, he's not so great. Um, and Paul could have dealt with this so many different ways, and I'm surprised when I read this and I've been studying it, I'm surprised how Paul did it. Because, you know, if you're an apostle and somebody questioned your apostleship, why don't you just say, get in line. I'm an apostle. Jesus called me to do this, so you better sit down, and I'm letting you do what I need to tell you to do. That would have been maybe, maybe some people would say, that would have been the correct response. You, you know, you rebuked him. You settled him in. You tell him to get in their chair and be quiet. You know, he doesn't do that. Why didn't he do that? Paul certainly was appointed by Christ to be an apostle, to write doctrine, to be his follower, he was the man that got appointed to go to the Gentiles. There's no doubt about that. And he could have given scripture. He could have given great scriptures from the Old Testament and applying to the New. He could have been absolutely right and no problem with that. But inspired by the Lord, he does things quite different. Let's look at verse 1 of chapter 10. Uh, let's look at verse 1. Paul, now myself Paul, I urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. He doesn't come to us with the authority, as it were, of Christ, because he has it. He comes to us with the meekness and gentleness of Christ. And you're going to deal with the, the church that way, Paul? Yes, he is. Because in doing so, Paul is not going to only win the Corinthians to himself. He's going to win us to the Word of God. He's going to teach us something that many, many of us would need better understanding of it. How to deal with difficulties in life and ministry and people in the gospel that you love and care for, but they're not going along with God. And, and how do you deal with them? You just tell them to get in line and you beat them on, outside the head. Well, there were three kinds of people talking about Paul. Number one, people were complaining about Paul, right? People were complaining. 
And it's always great when people complain about a preacher and about a pastor and about a teacher, right? Um, that happens. That happens here, right? It's, uh, uh, people complain. It's just, it's just the way it is. From the book of Numbers till now, God's people always complains about certain pastors, certain preachers. It's, it's I'm not saying it's good or right. I'm just saying it happens all the time, right? So they were complaining about Paul. I could imagine if they complain about Paul, what am I worried about, right? You know, uh, I, don't, I don't need to complain. Uh, the first six verses, the congregation is complaining about Paul. The next five verses, it's an individual who's criticizing Paul. And then the last few verses, last seven verses, is the false apostles criticizing Paul, and Paul is answering each one of them. So as it were, Paul is responding to their complaint, each one of those three groups, the congregation, an individual, and then the false apostles at the end. So let's, let's read what the congregation actually says. Let's look at verse 1 again. I urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I am meek when face to face with you, but bold toward you when absent. What are they talking about? Think of a situation where, let's go to the next one, yeah, the congregation. Think of a situation where, think of a city, think of a place somewhere, and uh, that city and that place has sickness, has a lot of sickness, and people are terminally ill. I'm going to put this right here because it's leaking. Uh, they're terminally ill, and people need medicine, and people need help, and kind of nowadays, it kind of sounds like, you know, a real thing, right? And uh, doctors can't deal with it. People are terminally ill. And no one, nothing, and nothing seems to, no one and nothing seems to help. In comes along a, a very frail man, hint, a very frail man, very sickly looking man, and by descriptions in the second century, uh, Paul looked very sickly himself. And he comes along and he brings a medicine. And people began to get well by taking the medicine. And uh, the, the disease is no longer terminal. People actually live in, in and this man encourages people to keep taking the medicine because it's not only going to make it not terminal, but they're going to get better as they keep taking the medicine. But the man leaves, but he leaves lost of medicine with the city. In comes a bunch of guys with white coats. A bunch of doctors, new doctors come in from other cities, and they said, oh, we gladly come to you. We studied abroad, and now we're here to help you, Corinthians. And um, they talk good, they walk not so good, they talk the part, and they have great bedside manners, as it were. Great doctors with great bedside manners. But the problem is, people are no longer getting better because they stopped taking the medicine that this man brought. So what's going on here? They stopped taking the medicine. But the man who left, a sickly, homely-looking man, writes them a letter and says, hey, why'd you stop taking the medicine? You're actually going to die if you stop taking the medicine. And I'm going to be bold in my letters to you and straightforward in his letters. And the people of the city get offended by how straightforward the letter from this man actually are. And he even rebukes them for not taking the medicine and listening to the quacky doctors that they brought in. Right? Of course, this is a fictional idea about what really happened in Corinth. That's exactly what happened in Corinth. Paul brought the medicine. He brought the gospel. He brought the gospel <laughs> preaching. He was a man who preached the gospel. He was a man who brought salvation to them. They were no longer terminally ill. The people became believers. 
And as they kept listening to the gospel, they got better. Their behavior got better. Their new nature grew. They flourished as a spiritual uh, relationship with God. But in came the guys with the white coats, the doctors, the preachers, the apostles, the new apostles, right? And Paul is going to make this a very real thing for him. This is a very real testimony of Paul's life, by the way. Uh, the gentleness. He is going to give them a perfect example of gentleness and meekness. Now, who do you know was gentle and meek? Christ. Yes. Paul's going to make the case that he is modeling Christ. He is modeling Christ as a personal testimony in his life and conduct. He's going to show the Corinthians how these other guys, they may say Jesus. We'll find next chapter they have a different Jesus. They might say the name, J-E-S-U-S, but it's not the Jesus of the scriptures that Paul had been teaching them. And therefore, just because they say just, just J-E-S-U-S, it doesn't mean it's Jesus of Nazareth. It could have been a Jesus. They invented it. They just sold it as Jesus. And of course, sometimes God's people are naive. And they just say, Jesus, oh, that must be fill in the blanks. They may mean something else. You may mean something else. It's not, it's not connecting. But somehow people are not going to get better. They're not going to get better because they have believed in a different Jesus. That's Paul's point in the next chapter. So Paul's going to give us an example of how to deal with difficult people. He's going to give us confidence in God's word because God's word is totally, utterly trustworthy and his promises. And uh, he's going to approach the circumstance a little different. What do we know about Paul before he became, or about Saul of Tarsus before he became Paul the apostle? What was his profession before he became an apostle? He was a Pharisee. In fact, uh, I would say this, and... Long story, but he's still a Pharisee. He says that in the book of Acts. I am a Pharisee, he says. He didn't say I was a Pharisee. I am a Pharisee. Now, we were told Pharisees are bad, bad, really bad guys, right? Yes, some of them are really bad. However, the idea, the, the principal idea of being a Pharisee, the original intent was to be a committed follower of God, to commit it to the word of God. In fact, uh, if we were around uh, in second century B.C., before Jesus came, you and I would have been considered Pharisees in a sense of the commitment to God's word. It was the back to the Bible movement of the Jewish people at the time. While the Greeks and Hellenists were encouraging debauchery and sin and lawlessness, the Pharisees, as it were, were people that said, you know what, this, this slide toward paganism and occulticism and, uh, and lawlessness has to stop, and it stops with us. And in fact, one of the, uh, one of the rabbis, major rabbis at the time, uh, said, if you're not going to follow the Lord, when are you going to follow the Lord? And he coined this phrase, if not now, when? Amen. If not now, when? I guess Nike took it and says, just do it, right? That, that's the idea. But if not now, when? That, would, that came from the second century BC where Jews were encouraged to follow the Lord. And if you're not going to follow the Lord, then why are we here, right? That, that was their idea. So the Pharisees committed themselves to God. They were the people of the word of God. However, like any, any movement, if it's infiltrated by men and the flesh, you know, not the spirit, then it, it, it deteriorates. And it became so bad after a while. You get, now you get the New Testament. They were so corrupt by money, power, marriage, right? The, the, the serial adultery that they were committing. And, you know, marrying just, you know, divorcing women left and right and marrying other women left and right. Uh, that, their greed and their power hunger, that's what Jesus contended with. But all in all, the Pharisees had true teachings, even Jesus said, don't do what they do, but listen to what they're saying, because what they say is what Moses said. 
I talk about the seat of Moses. They sit in the seat of Moses, he says, and they're right about what Moses said. Just don't do what they do because they don't follow what they're preaching. They were hypocrites. And so Paul, in the true essence of a Pharisee, was still committed to the word of God. But now with the new revelation of Christ, he was a New Testament believer now. But he was nonetheless a Pharisee. What were the Pharisees good at? Well, the Pharisees were good at contending and arguing and pointing from Scripture where other people were wrong. They were very good at it. Paul could have done that. And we would have had a chapter full of verses and chapters and going back to the Old Testament. That would have been kind of fun, right, to, to do. But no, in God's spirit, in his move of God's spirit to lead Paul to, lead, to write something very different. It's a gentle approach, how to deal with difficult people. But, boy, when you read it, Paul begins to become bolder and bolder as he reads. Not, he doesn't stop being gentle or meek, but straightforward and honesty and truth. And this is what we want from Christian ministers, don't we? What we want from people that preach the gospel is, first of all, to be honest and truthful and to be anointed by God to preach God's message because God loves truth. He loves truth in the inward part. So verse, um, let's keep going. Verse 2, I ask when I'm present, I need not to be bold with confidence in which I propose to be courageous against some who regard us as if we walk according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Paul says, I'm going to be bold among you. I've been away from you. I'm writing a letter. You think I'm bold in my letters. Well, I don't want to be bold in front of you. I want to be gentle in front of you. Um, some people believe that our, our team, Paul and his team, team of ministers, have been Timothy and Titus and Luke and Silas, right? They walk according to the flesh. That doesn't mean that they're walking in sin. It's, it's talking about according to uh, the worldly standards. Yes. You know, uh, that, that what they were doing is simply just being a good, uh, a good ordinary person, walking according to the flesh. Paul is saying, we live in this world, but we don't carry ourselves according to a worldly way. Right? If, we think, if you think our ministry is just about worldly ideas and wisdom and thoughts, this is we don't. That's not us. Some people think they look ordinary. You know, when you looked at Paul, in fact, uh, we have descriptions of Paul in, in church history, he didn't look very impressive. What I told you about the sickly, homely-looking man, that's what they said about Paul. Now, it's, it's history. It's church history. It's not Bible, so it's not infallible. But what they said is he was little. He was small. Uh, his name, Paul, means little, by the way. And uh, whether that was a, a spiritual thing that he felt himself he was little or it was his stature, we don't know, but fits kind of both because he humbled himself. Uh, but he was a giant in the faith. Paul was sickly looking, constantly struggled with health. Uh, he was bald. So good thing for bald guys, right? You got <laughs> model after Paul. Uh, he was bald, and uh, he had a, a long, crooked nose. So I feel okay with Paul, right? He had, I'm okay with Paul. And um, he was bow-legged, so, I mean, he didn't walk very good. And uh, he, had a, uh, he had one eyebrow, as it were. He was sort of a unibrow. Now, so in terms of appearances... If somebody showed up like that at a church, one of the churches that I know, they would be like, brother, come back next year and uh, get yourself some help because we need a guy with a suit and a haircut. Well, you don't have any hair, so get some hair. Uh, and, um, 
you know, get yourself some better appearance because, uh, you know, you're on TV or you're on national whatever or YouTube, whatever, and you need to look. Do you have a tie? No tie? Okay, no tie. Well, we can deal with the tie, but you can't deal with the, with the unibrow and stuff like that and the baldness. <laughs> so Paul was not someone that you want to look at all the time in worldly appearances, right? Now think about that. There's a real test here, right? Paul said, we may look ordinary. We may look like we're nothing, but we don't carry ourselves according to the world and the standards of the world. Look at our ministry. Look at verse 4. Our ministry is different. Verse 4. For our weapons of our warfare are not the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Look at our ministry. Our weapons are not of the world. We don't contend with the world, with the weapons that the world has. We don't contend with ideas in the world, with just more rhetoric from the world. You know, the world has philosophies. Paul said, we don't use their philosophy to counteract their philosophy. Right? Uh, we use the weapons that God uses. Our weapons are God's. That's what he's saying. Um, there's a great fortress, as it were, the, pull, the destruction or the pulling down of forces, right, or fortresses. The world has fortresses, don't you? Have you seen them? Yes. Seen the fortresses? It's on the media, it's on technology, it's in the government, it's, where else is that? Uh, it's in education, special education, philosophies of man, right? They have a fortress, massive fortress. You know what a fortress is, right? It's like where they battle. It's just where, you know, the strongholds, as it were, these fortresses. Uh, and they erected against who? Against Christ. Yes. Against the gospel message. Against the people of Christ. Amen. That's what they're yes. up against, right? And, um, and they're erected by the enemy. Of course, what's behind it? It's the enemy. These are um, the powers under the sway or the, uh, the influence of the wicked one. And Paul comes along with these, to these fortresses. He looks at them and says, we can pull that down. We can take it down. Or Paul, where's your bulldozer? Where's your rhetoric? Where's your philosophy? Those are weapons of the world. I'm not going to destroy the fortresses of the world, the ideas they have erected and philosophies and thoughts about Christ. I'm not going to take them down with their own weapons. I'm going to have something more effective. See, this man's weapons. Men's weapons are nothing compared to God. Amen. Paul is going to bring them down with the truth with the truth of God. Now, how do we know this is true? How do we know what happened? Uh, how do we know this happened? Well, when Paul came to Corinth, what did he come to? When Paul came to Corinth, remember the city that I told you? What was Corinthians known for? You guys can rattle them off. What was Corinthians? Was that? The Debauchery. Idolatry. Idolatry. Paganism. Paganism. Feel like a cheerleader? Occulticism, right? Paganism, cultism, immorality, idolatry, philosophy, right? Philosophies of the world. They were very well astute and, and uh, Aristotle and Plato and all these philosophies of the Greek world. I mean, they love orators. They love to argue and they love to present argument. By the way, you like Netflix in the Greek culture? Uh, forget Netflix. Give me a good speech. Give me a good orator. And they would go to, instead of the theater, they would go to these amphitheaters to hear a good argument. They were, uh, you might like that, like debates and things like that. That, that all comes from Greek ideas, right? The, because they fed the mind. Now, there's nothing wrong with 
thinking. There's nothing wrong with thought and arguments and stuff like that. But if that is your idea of spirituality or drawing close to God, if that's your idea of truth, remember, still man's words. You know, for our mind, our soul, that's still part of the fallen nature, right? Our spirit is the one that's alive now through Christ Jesus. We have a new spirit. We're born again. And now the mind, the soul, has to come under the influence of the word of God by the renewing of the mind, right? Now the flesh, the flesh has to just be put down. The flesh has to be crucified, right? However, the mind has to conform to the mind of Christ, conform to the mind of the spirit. It's a big battle for that. However, in the Greek world, it was rhetoric, it was philosophy, right? So Paul came along, and he looked at these pagans, immoral, idolaters, fornicators, and Paul said, I'm going to argue against immorality. I'm going to argue against your occultism. I'm going to argue against your paganism. Did he do that? No, because he would have just used the same weapons. They would have just, well, oh, Paul, we have counter-arguments against your philosophy. Yes. Uh, we'll bring our own, and you know what they call them? They call them prophetas. They call them We'll bring our own prophets, our own speakers, and he, they will counteract you. That's what they would have done. But Paul didn't do that. you know what Paul did? He preached the gospel. Amen. He preached the gospel. You want to take that down? You want to take immorality down? You want to take these effects of immorality, fornication, idolatry in the world? Don't argue with the world about it. They're just going to argue back with you. It's our culture. It's our thing. We've always done it. You know, take you back. Third century, fourth century. Greek philosophy is good for us. It feels good. Oh, name it. Oh, I heard it all. Um, what they can argue is the truth. What's the truth? There's a God in heaven, and he created us. And he created us to be good. He created us to do good. He created us to be his friend, to be his family, to be in his kingdom. But we didn't like this God. We didn't like our creator. We listened, to, we listened to the creature, Satan. We followed his plan. We rebelled against our creator. We've offended God through our sin and our behavior. We've offended God. We actually offended holiness. That holiness will not put up with sin. Amen. So we have a problem. There's a division. There's a great chasm between God and men. And that judgment of God looms upon every person that has sin in their lives. It's called the wrath of God. It looms over them. But God in his mercy didn't stop there, did he? He just said, hey, you guys on your own. No, that same creator became a man. That same creator became a man in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. And he lived in this world, lived the perfect life, went to the cross to pay for our sins, to give us his right standing with God. That's what he did. He went to the cross, bled in our place, took our place, took the wrath that was for us, that was looming over us. He put it on him. God treated us as if we've never done it because he could treat his son as if he did all those sins and all the things that we have done against God were put on Christ so he can let you go without any penalty. Amazing. That's the gospel. Amen. It's the goodness of God that leads a man to repentance. It's the grace of God. And he said, look, I'm going to let you go and my son will die in your place. He'll take your place. You'll take his place, meaning that he'll die because that's where you belong. And you'll take his place right standing in front of me without sin and blameless. Oh, that's the gospel. And through his death and resurrection, if we have faith and repentance, we could be born again. We have a new spirit in us. We can live for God and live for Jesus now and have no guilt of our past and no sense of guilt. And, and it's no shame because of what happened because Jesus has borne our sins on the tree. He came to them with that message. What do you think people felt like? I've never 
heard anything like this before. This is, you mean, remember there were pagans. You mean all those gods are not real? Nope, they're not. Venus, Mars, Jupiter, call them Zeus, right? Um, All those gods are not real. Apollos, not real. All those gods, nope, they're demonic. Actually, they're false things to deceive you from God, the true God. They're not real, and they can't can't do anything for you. They can't help you. Only the Son of God can help you. And by preaching the gospel, ordinary speech, he didn't come with great eloquence. He says, I didn't come to you, like, here's 50 points on, you know, point number one, point number two, on how great this is. He just told the truth. Ordinary speech, divine speech, spiritually anointed speech, though. Meaning that God called them to do it. He was empowered by the Holy Spirit to do it. And guess what he did? He pulled down those fortresses. They came down. Sorry. Sorry to wake you up. Unbelief goes out the window. Paganism out the window. Why? By the simple, straightforward message of the gospel. Because people had two choices to make. Ah, this is nonsense. Like they did in Mars Hill, remember, when he went to Athens? This is nonsense. Some said, hmm, come back again. We'll, we'll listen to some more. Anyway, let's get back to our thing. That's what they did. And others said, we believe. We believe. And they followed Paul, and they became believers, right? Verse 5. We are destroying speculations, every lofty thing that is raised against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. What does this mean? Well, people can argue. Right? People argued against us, Paul said, but we cast down those arguments. Not with Greek rhetoric, not with great oratory skills. You know, you don't, you know, one thing about being a Christian is you don't need to be great at anything. Take it from me. You don't need to be great at anything. Praise God. Because I am not great at anything. Ask my wife. To tell you the truth. Something breaks. Hmm. Who can we get to fix this? I'm standing right here. See, I know. Who can we get to fix it? I'm asking you a question. All right. I'll call so-and-so. Usually call Joel or Jeff or someone, right? Do you know how to fix this? Yeah. Why? I'm not good at it. I want to be. Thought about it for a long time. But then I might get... <laughs> Tell you stories later. Might make a bigger mess, which I have. You don't have to be a great speaker. That's right. That's right. You don't have to be a great orator. I'm not. I don't do miracles. I'm not great at miracles. Never parted water, never walked on the water, never done anything like that. I prayed for people and they've gotten well. Prayed for people, they've gotten healed. It wasn't me. There was like 15 other people praying for them, which it ought to be that way. So nobody takes the credit. You see those preachers? Pray for them. Oh, you heal. Wasn't me. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. I'm telling you, it was not me, me, me. It was not me. We get it. It wasn't you. Stop saying me. Making it sound like you did it. Which is what they're trying to say. But the straightforward preaching of the gospel. Here were people that were exalting themselves against the knowledge of God. How were these pagans exalting themselves against the knowledge of God? 
by the realization that they knew better. See, when an unbeliever hears a message of the gospel, if you preach it right, guess what they're going to say? Man, get out of here. You don't know what you're talking about. We know better. God, to me, is like a rock. God, to me, is like the tree or the sun. God, to me, is like me. We're all gods. New age ideas, right? God, to me, is like a big old grandpa who lets everybody into heaven. It doesn't matter what they believe. God, to me, is just a sentimental God. Just, he's never mad about anything. He just you know, pats kids on the head and says, oh, well, you know, kids, boys will be boys, that kind of thing. God, to me, will never send anybody to hell. God, to me, and, I, and you see, you hear it. We know better is what they're saying. We know better than God. Yeah, what you're saying, we don't like it. And they cast down. Paul says, we cast down, down as well. We cast it down. We pull it down. How? By the gospel. Amen. Not by the speech of Paul, but by the divine, anointed, powerful message of the gospel that comes through just a faithful preacher, just a faithful man. See, I told you Christians don't have to be great at anything, but they have to do one thing. They have to be one thing. You know what that thing is? Faithful. That's it. Faithful. Can you be faithful? Amen. What's faithful? Well, it comes from faith, full or full of faith. It's the same Greek word that you find faith. It means to believe, to commit, but it's written in such a way that it's continuous action. So it's somebody who's committing their way to God. Not just faith, like 30 years ago I believed, but 30 years ago I believed, five minutes ago I believed, I'm believing now. It's called faithful faithfulness. Same word in the Greek, but which, by the way, translation issue. When they have to translate the Bible from Greek to English, and every translator that's honest will tell you this, when they come to that word, pasteo, they have to figure out what the word faith is, or the word belief, they have to make a decision. Should we translate it faith, or should we translate it faithfulness? Meaning somebody who continues, goes on believing these things. And they have to make a decision. And so they, you know, sometimes they say belief. Sometimes they say believe. Sometimes they say faith. And, uh, and sometimes they say faithfulness. But it's the same word. So you can literally translate John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes, pasteo, faith, yeah. But it's the word believing, Continues to believe. Yes, that's it. He who continues to believe in Jesus will not perish but have everlasting life. Now, how does that verse sound to you now? Because I've heard people say, 30 years ago he believed. He's an atheist, inspired Satanist now, but he believes. He did. See, it says John 3.16, he who believes. Now, that's not what the word means, ma'am, sir. It means continue to believe because that's what that where it really means. It's not somebody who just believed, past tense. They might have, but it's how are you doing now? See, it's not how you start. It's how you finish the race that counts. Amen. Let's continue. Paul says, bring every thought to obey Christ. How? We took their arguments, their rhetoric, their ideas, their philosophy of the world. We preached the gospel to them, pulled them down, gave them the truth, and those thoughts that they had against Christ and against God, we put them under submission to Christ Jesus. I don't have to give you much of an imagination. How was your thinking before you met Christ? 
I can tell you what my thinking was, but I don't want to defile a Christian meeting. I could tell you that I had a lot of things that I believed against God. A lot of things that against God. A lot of, I walked around with lies on my head that I didn't even know I had. Just, da, 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 da. just my, you, know, you think I'm in my own world, believe what I want. It's probably true. Why? Because I believe it. But am I the standard of truth? Then the gospel came, and they're like, oh, you mean that thought, and that thought, and that thought, and that thought? Yep, lies, 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 and more lies. What do I have to do with lies? I have to get rid of them. Why do you combat lies? Combat them with the truth. It's the truth of God that replaces those lies in your mind. You replace them with truth. And now you think like God, in a sense. You think like the Lord. You begin to, begin to think like Christ. Yeah, I know what Christ says about this sin in my life, about this issue, about my anger, about my loss, about my pride. I know what he says about it. And I'm going to comply with the Lord. I'm going to submit to him. And therefore, my thoughts are going to be obedient to Christ now. My thought life will be under his rulership. And therefore, if one little thought pops up, cast it down. Right? But he was doing that to these pagans, these ex-pagans. Verse 6, we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. We're ready to go, Paul says. All disobedience using the same authority, the preaching from God. Now, he's not saying punishing like he's going to bring a rod to them or anything like that. He's talking about obedience to Christ. He's going to bring the word of God and he's going to make them obedient. Uh, some people are going to be stubborn. That's what he's talk talking about. The obedience is complete. Some people are going to be stubborn because why? They're going to listen to the quacks. They're going to listen to these false doctors, these false apostles, these new apostles. They're going to go along with them. But you need to complete your obedience, not to me. Right. And remember, he could have said that. I'm an apostle. Get in line to Christ. Because a true minister never speaks for himself or about himself. It's about Christ. That's all there is. That's all there should be. That's all there ought to be. No one's more interesting than Christ is and more interested than Christ, uh, interesting than Christ. Why talk about yourself? I'll give you five minutes, tell you all about myself. You'll be bored by the second minute. And you only get five. So ask my wife. She says it all the time. Nothing interesting. Yeah, that's right. Why? Because it's Christ. It's the gospel, right? And I'm ready to be bold, Paul says. And um, if I'm required to step in that situation... I'm ready to be bold. And we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. Now, what is that like now? Um, what is the message that he brings? Think about a true minister. Who's not, who is and who's not? Right, who is and who's not? A true gospel minister, um, it's not like you don't have to ask, like, what is he like? Where did he get his clothes from? Right? What part of the country is he from? Like, when you go to your doctor, anybody had to go to a doctor? I did, just did this week, right? Wow, nobody? Usually in a group, there's people who went, okay, I will talk about this. Um, I went to see my doctor. Some of you guys were praying. Other people were praying against. Some people were praying for. <laughs> the Lord always wins, right? Amen. And um, so my doctor, I talked to my doctor. You know, I didn't go to my doctor and say, doctor, where'd you get your clothes from? Your shop at Mervyn's? Mervyn's, sorry. Uh, <laughs> yes, I was around, right? Uh, you shop at 
No, no. Nordstrom, is that still around? Okay. Shop at Nordstrom? Do you shop here? Do you shop there? So what do you ask? I said, I want to know if my doctor dresses well. Well, that's a weird question, but okay. Yes, I buy the clothes here, right? Uh, you know, are you from back east? Are you from Fairfield County? Right? It's supposed to be Fairfield County is where, you know, very good people are from, right? Fairfield County, back east, right? Um, very sophisticated people from Fairfield County, right? And um, are you from Fairfield County? Are you from back east? Are you from Massachusetts? Are you from Florida? Well, what does that have to do with anything? I just want to make sure my doctor is from these areas. Nobody does that. It would be silly of me to ask him that. It would be like, dude, hang up. Done. See you next week. Nobody does that. But you know, in the, in, in, in the Christian world, this, this is what happens. Yes. Now, if you want to go to your doctor, you can ask your doctor... You know, where do you study? Maybe that, that's, a, that's a valid question, but uh, you, what you want to ask them is, hey, how many people have you treated? And how many people have recovered? And how many people, what's your success rate? What are the effects? What do you prescribe? How do you deal with medicine? Exactly. You know, some doctors look nice, you know, got the coat on, nice shaving, and stuff like that, but I wouldn't take an aspirin from them. Honestly, I wouldn't take an aspirin from them. That's the reality, right? Terrible, terrible. There are some doctors that are brilliant. I know some doctors, and I'm like, incredibly brilliant doctors, mine that the Lord had given them, and the relievers, right? Some of them have terrible bedside manners, by the way, but that doesn't matter, is it? It's whether they can treat the disease yes. that I have, or whatever it is that we have, right? When people look at pastors and preachers, and they say, I don't like that shirt, blue. Blue makes me sad checkered shirt. I don't know. Get that shirt. At, I seen that shirt at Walmart somewhere. I'm not sure about him, right? They begin to question the outward appearance, as it were. That's, that's the most important thing. Oh, he's got a nice suit on. Da, 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 da. I'm not talking about not looking presentable. That's not my point. My point is, that's the standard. Oh, he looks great. Must be good. I want to know what the effects of that preacher. Yes, amen. What are the effects when he preaches? What does he say about Christ? What does he say about sin? What does he say about the sinfulness of the world? What is his solution for the sinfulness of the world? Right? None of those false teachers that Paul was dealing with could have written this. This is why I believe the Bible is so inspired. When Paul was questioned, he went right to Scripture. And none of those false teachers could ever write this. Right? Um, they were all according to the flesh. These false apostles, all according to the flesh. They weren't pulling down strongholds. They were building them up, those fortresses. They were building where Paul preached. Notice where they went, right? They didn't go to another place. It's just kind of a weird thing, right? They didn't go to another place. It's like a doctor who inherits all these patients from a good doctor. And says, I'm a good doctor. Look at all these patients. They're all well. Well, they just came from that doctor. And he treated them really well. That's why they're well. Nope. Because I got them, they're under me now, and I am, and they're good. Well, unfortunately, that doesn't work well in medicine. It doesn't work well in ministry either. They went where Paul preached. Not a lot of work to do. They're already saved. Paul preached, disciple them. All they had to do is stand there and go, we're going to tell you about the word. They weren't preaching anything, but they claimed that they were this awesome apostles. They had a church and everything. Well, where did it come from? It came from where Paul planted, where Paul planted. So they were making disciples after themselves, not after Christ. And may their church 
uh, and made their way into the church without any boldness of Christ. They didn't have the right medicine, as it were. Now, let's look at the next one. Individual. Go a little faster. We don't know who this is. doesn't say who it is, but we know it's an individual. You are looking at things in the, as outwardly. If anyone is confident in himself that he is Christ, let him consider this again within himself, that he is just as he is. He is Christ. We don't know who this is, but we know he contended with Paul. He claimed to be of Christ. And look at verse 8. For if we, uh, uh, or even if I boast somewhat further about our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be put to shame. For I do not wish to, uh, to seem as if I would terrify you by my letters. For they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his personal presence is uh, unimpressive. And his speech is not so good. It's contemptible. So he looked at Paul and says, you know, his letters are bold. His letters are strong. His speech, contemptible. His, his appearance, unimpressive. They looked on the outward appearance. Again, Paul did not look impressive. If someone thinks they're of Christ, Paul says, this man really thought he was of Christ. So are we, verse 7, we're also Christ. In the Greek culture, this was important. Individual appearance was important. I'm going to tell you a story about Demosthenes. Anybody know who Demosthenes is? No? Okay. Learned something today. Demosthenes was a great orator, a great speaker, a great philosopher. But he wasn't so good at the beginning. In fact, the story, you can read it on your own. I encourage you to do it. It's fascinating. Demosthenes was a hunchback with a very low voice. That does not make for good appearance. The individual appearance was not so good. Plus, if you're a hunchback with a very low voice, you're not a good speaker. You just don't hear it. It's just, just the way it is. But Demosthenes did not give up. His disability, his voice, his speech, no good. So he began to practice. You know what he did? He would actually put a sword on back of his, you know, back of his shirt. And whenever his shoulders began to go forward, the sword would begin to cut him. So that gives you a lot of incentive to keep your back straight, wouldn't it? Yeah, so he did that. And, uh, and he, he couldn't pronounce words very well. He stuttered, so he put pebbles in his mouth. And he walked around with pebbles in his mouth until he could pronounce every word correctly with pebbles in his mouth. Now, if you could do that with pebbles in your mouth, you could see that without pebbles in your mouth, you probably, probably pronounce them very well. And for his voice and his stamina, he would memorize his speeches and he would run uphill while reciting his speeches. And for his tone, he would find a storm. This, was not a, this is a painting, but it's not a far-fetched. He would go to the places of storms, and of course by the Greek islands, a lot of storms. And he would actually, when the storm would come in, he would increase his voice so he can speak above the sound of the waves. And if he can voice... If he get his voice above the waves, he knew he was ready. He knew he would be ready. And he practiced and he practiced. And, um, and guess what? When the time came for the Greeks to go to war, it was Demosthenes' speech that inspired them to protect their country. So this is all in their background. Think about Corinth, right? Think about Corinth. This is all in their background. They know about great orators and speech. They know about appearance. They know about individuals. They know 
what it takes. Paul, you look terrible. You look like you need the medicine. Your letters, well, kind of strong, kind of offensive. You have no charisma. Verse 8. But Paul revealed that this letter, the medicine, was from no one else but God. Look at it again. For if I boast somewhat further about our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up. See, I didn't, I didn't get this medicine. I didn't get this letter. I didn't get this word for you to be destroyed. It's actually for your good. I didn't make it up. It was given to me by the inventor of the medicine. See, I only gave you the medicine. But I'm not the inventor of the medicine. The inventor of the medicine for sin gave me the medicine. And he said, go, go to these places and give people the medicine. It was God's love for the Gentile world, Paul is saying, that gave me the authority to go to build you up. And I'm not ashamed, verse 8. I am not ashamed to tell you this. I am not ashamed to tell you this because I am not here to compare myself with other apostles. Look at verse 11. Let such a person consider this, that, that, uh, that what we are in word by letters when absent, such persons we are also indeed when present. The authority came from the Lord. A true minister always has his authority from the Lord. A true minister is nothing by worldly standards or criteria. He's nothing. He doesn't push himself to promote himself. Um, he just promotes the medicine. He just promotes the medicine. He just promotes the truth. You know, if you're a doctor, you don't go, well, I'm such a great doctor. And you say, no, this medicine will make you right. doesn't care if you believe me or not. I don't care how I'm dressed. You take this medicine, you'll be all right. Paul says, I don't care how I look. This medicine will save your soul. This gospel will bring you into eternal life. And it's, and it's Christ who sent me to you. All right? And final point. Last few verses. Verse 12. Let's see what the new apostles were saying about Paul. For we are not bold to class or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves, but they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves. Say that a few times. And they are without understanding. Pretend you're in the, in the Corinthian church. Just for a moment, imagine first century, about 56 AD, 50 to 56 AD. You're listening to these apostles. Oh, right. You're listening to these apostles. Well-dressed, a little furry, charismatic, compelling. And you notice they talk about themselves a lot. Hmm. Yes. A lot more stories about them than anything else. Yes. And, uh, and why you should follow them. And you notice that, hmm, they only practice their medicine where other people have practiced their medicine. Hmm. They never go somewhere new. They never go and begin to preach where no one heard Christ before. They always go where people are well. That's a great camouflage, by the way. Because yes. if people are well, all you got to do is throw them a few scriptures here and there, a few hallelujahs here and there. And people go, oh, hallelujah. Most of them are already saved. Yeah. And, and a lot of them just kind of fill in the blanks and what they don't tell them. That's what you'll never grow. You'll never grow because they're not sent by Christ. They're not giving you the word of Christ. And you're starving. Amen. Might give you a lot of candy, a lot of feel good, a lot of whipped cream, a lot of froth. You can't live off of froth. You need meat. 
You need to strong. You need to be grow strong bones, strong healthy bones. You notice that that's what they do. And they only follow where Paul had been. Notice where they went. They went to Corinth. They didn't go to another place. They just said, ooh, Paul went there. I bet you they're believers. They knew that because Paul is a true minister of Christ. And if you ask them, are you a true minister of Christ, sir? Guess what they're going to say? Yes, I am. Ask my friend. The other guy. See the back guy? The guy right there. The one on the right. No, not that guy. The other guy. If you ask them that I'm a true one, he'll say, ooh, yes, I am. <laughs> How do I know he is? Well, he's in the same pack as me. And then I go to that guy, and I say, is that other guy true? Ooh, yes, he is. <laughs> How do you know? He's in the same pack with me. Wait a minute. That's no way to compare anybody. You ask your friends if you're really real? Well, if they were honest, right? But that's not how you test spiritual things. What counts is not where you went to school or what you got or whatever Amen. your friends say. Yes. There's only one proof that Christ approved you Amen. to preach his word. That's it. That Christ approved you. Look at verse 18. Just jump to the end because we're going to finish in a moment. But it is not he who commends himself that is approved, but he whom the Lord commends. You know, I don't approve of pastors or preachers. It doesn't matter what I say. It matters what he says. And I shouldn't care what other people say about me either, because it doesn't matter what they say. It matters what Christ says. Amen. But there's a proof. The only diploma that counts is the one that Christ gave out. It doesn't matter what you have or don't have. It's a signature upon a man. What's his signature? His spirit. It's the spirit of Christ in and upon that man. Do people get better when he preaches? Do people get right when he preaches? Are people coming to Christ because he preaches? I'm not saying are there hundreds and thousands of people. I'm saying are people's lives getting straightened out? Are marriages getting straightened out? Are people under conviction of the Holy Ghost to say, yeah, you know, I need to get this right. I need to love my wife. I need to submit to my husband. I need to do this for my children. I need to follow Christ. I need to read my Bible more. I need to pray more. I need to submit to God more. I need to take my mind under the authority of Christ. That's how God's Spirit works. I am tempted to stop right here. But I'll finish with this. The last few verses, I'll just read them and comment and be done. I won't go exposition of this. It'll take too long. But we will not boast beyond our measure, but within the measure of the sphere which God appointed us as to a measure, to reach even as far as you. For we are not overextending ourselves as if we did not reach to you, for we were the first to come even as far as you in the gospel of Christ. Not boasting beyond our measure, that is, in other man's labors, but with the hope that as your faith grows, we will be within our sphere, enlarged even more by you. So as to preach the gospel, even to the regions beyond you, and not to boast in what has been accomplished in the sphere of another. And notice this beautiful verse. But he who boasts, boasts in the Lord. He who glories, glories in the Lord. It comes from the book of Jeremiah. We talked about that on Wednesday nights. He who glories, glory in the Lord only. For it is not he who commends himself that is approved, but he whom the Lord commends. I don't talk about where I've been, Paul says. I don't compare myself with others. I don't compare myself with Peter, James, and John, and James, and the apostles. That would be the same thing these guys are doing. But said, 
you know, John says I'm good. This guy says I'm good. No, it's the Lord says I'm good. How do I know this? In Acts 9, Paul ran into Christ. Miraculous conversion on the road to Damascus. And Christ said, Paul, you got off your horse, got knocked off your horse. You get on your horse now and go to the Gentiles. I'm sending you to the Gentiles. He did minister to the Jews, don't get me wrong, to some in Antioch. But when meeting with the apostles, they agreed. The apostles, like Peter, James, and John, they would go to the Jews. He would go to the Gentiles. And um, when he went to the Jews and he went to the, you know, he, when he went to the Gentiles, he didn't go, I've done all these great things among the Jews. You know, I did all this. I preached the gospel in Jerusalem. That was not his calling. But to the Corinthians, he says, Christ sent me to you. And he did. He really did. And he traveled all over the place. His hope was that these churches, as he, as he preached the gospel and Christians, believers became, uh, pagans became Christians, believers got converted, they would send Paul further to Spain, even in Romans says. They would go as far as Spain, as far as Europe, as far as the, the edge of Europe. Thank God for that. We don't extend ourselves into other man's work. But as your faith increases, we will preach the gospel in these regions, even as far as Spain. Not to boast in another man's work. We're not going and following along what these guys are doing, going to other people's churches and say, oh, this is my church, I established it. No, they're going, we are boasting not in ourselves and what we have done, but he who boasts, boasts only in the Lord. I am a minister because of God's mercy. The word, the word minister just simply means a servant. So tell that. Lowly term means a slave, minister. It's this idea, he's a minister. Yeah, he should get a broom and sweep the back. That's what he should do. Because that's what a minister is. See, we lost the whole idea. We, yes. That's what minister is. Paul says, I'm just your servant. I am a servant of Christ because of God's mercy toward me. Nothing else. And we could say the same thing today. Did you know that? He made me a Christian. Christ made me a Christian. That was Amen. his grace. Amen. Then we became preachers. Paul said, he made me a Christian, and he sent me to the Gentiles to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. The only one that gets the credit is Christ. He made me a Christian, and he sent me. And then what I say is his message. So where's my boasting? Nothing. We're just servants, by the way. We're just servants. You know, we only do what Christ says to do. It's not like we're making this up along the way. Like, okay, what do we do now? I don't know. You have better ideas? I don't know. You come up with that. I don't know. Let's do it. Okay. Uh, no, we just, Lord, what is your will for us? What is your will for this church? What is your will for us individually as a church, congregation? What is your will in the mission field? And then we do it and we go, yes, Lord did it. He did it. Well, I thought you guys went, no, no, no. We just, we just did it because he just told us to do it. It wasn't my idea. It wasn't it brilliant. Just do it. Remember, you don't have to be great at anything. You have to be good at something, faithful, and good at copying Christ. That's what you've got to be good at. So what is a true gospel minister? A true gospel minister is not interested in the approval of others. Amen. If Christ has sent you to share the gospel, what I mean by a preacher is that. Okay, so don't think the idea is you've got to have a pulpit, only be a preacher. Remember, he, Philip preached to one, and he became a preacher. A preacher of Christ or a preacher of the gospel is not interested in the approval of others. <laughs> subscribe to my channel. Right? Subscribe here. I'm subscribed there. Subscribe here. 
not a preacher of Christ. Approval of others. He doesn't compare himself to others or other gospel ministers. That's not his interest. He goes on preaching that men and women can be saved from eternal death. There's so much concern that we should have for the eternal life of people. And he speaks of the sender, the one who sent him, not himself. He speaks more about the sender more than himself. Well, you might say, well, what's the point? I'm not moving anytime soon. Why do I have to look for a, why do I have to look for a pastor, a church, a preacher, or anything like that? Well, I'll leave you with this. For 1,500 years, Christians did not have Bibles. I don't know if you know that. Okay? Uh, I have about, I'm not trying to boast, I have numerous Bibles. I don't know how many I have. And you might have some too. Not with phones. I don't know where mine is now. Phone's somewhere here. Uh, now with phones, innumerable, because you could just go on an app, right? That is such an anomaly in church history. You, you, don't, I don't, you must take a step back and go, oh, you have a Bible in multiple languages and translations and versions? If you show that to a first century Christian, they would just die on the spot. The Word of God, what? You have it? Yeah. Do you read it? I don't know, sometimes. But I got Joel Osteen's book. No, that's not what I'm talking about. The Bible. I'm talking about the Bible. Do you have the Bible? Do you read the Bible? That's it. They would be amazed. For 1,500 years, Christians had no Bible. How did they get their Bible? By the way, they knew the Bible better than you and I know the Bible. How did they do that? They didn't go home and say, hey, this opened up to Leviticus. They didn't, you know, they didn't do that. How did they do that? Because somebody was, well, what's this, what's this chapter about pastors and preachers and ministers and who's the gospel, who's true and who's not? What does it have to do with me? Everything. For 1,500 years, Christians had no Bible. Their only Bible that they heard is when they went to fellowship yep. and heard a gospel minister anointed by the Spirit of God preaching the gospel to them, sharing God's truth to them. And they heard it, and they went home, and they talked about it with each other, with their family, and they meditated on it. Hmm, hmm. I'm going to go back and ask him a question. And they would go back the next day. You know, hey, servant, so-and-so, minister. What about this, this, this? And they would just talk. And then the preachers would help them apply the word of God in their lives. Well, this is what this means. This is how you do it. This is how you love your wife. This is how you take care of your children. Now, a lot of them were pagans. A lot of them were just, I mean, can you imagine, unbelieving pagan, ex-idolaters following Christ. And they're like, what do we do? I used to do that. Now what do I do? It was just follow Christ. How do we do that? That's what, they, that's what they win. No Christian can live without the Word of God. Amen. But for 1,500 years, Christians lived without a Bible. They did it. They survived through the preaching of other people that had the Bible or memorized Scripture. And they preached and they preached and they preached. Um, if you think today they can just go home and live alone and just say, I'm just going to study my Bible, and I'm not going to fellowship with anybody. And I don't care what this guy in the blue shirt says. I'm going to listen to nobody, no preacher, nothing. And my friend, you're making a big mistake because that's not what God intended. God did not give you personally the Bible to you only. God gave the Bible to who? All of us. The body of Christ has the Bible. The body of Christ has the word. We may have a Bible at home, personally, or Bibles at home, but the preaching, the understanding, the application, the fellowship of the Spirit he gave to all of us so that we cannot live 
apart from fellowship and preaching. Christians never divorce themselves from that and say, I don't want to hear preaching. I have my Bible. You know, they never would have said that. One, because they didn't have a Bible. <laughs> Secondly, because that, that was their Bible. That was their, 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 their preaching. Was, and they heard it. And so they came together and they heard it. And the emphasis was on the Bible reading, uh, um, uh, on the gospel preaching, I should say. Not on the reading, because many of them couldn't even read. It was on the preaching. And they meditated and they chewed it and chewed it and chewed it to the point where they knew the Bible, better, like I said, better than us. They were not foolishly thinking they can go off on their own and live on their own without any Christian fellowship or preaching. They were not lone rangers. They live spiritually, but they live with the preaching and the fellowship of the body of Christ. That's why this is such an important passage, that we recognize true ministers of the gospel who is and who's not, and that Christians are to live together and fellowship with the word of God and preaching. You have a Bible. You consider yourself incredibly blessed. Yes. You have people praying for you. You are the most blessed man or woman yes. on the earth. You have a Bible and people praying for you. What else do you need? Go tell somebody about Jesus. Hallelujah. He's already given you his word. He's inspired us through the preaching, even using a foolish man like me, and go and hear gospel preaching that will encourage you and put the Spirit of God in you, stir you up in such a way that you go out and do it. And you're like, I'm going to chew on this for a while. And you chew, and you chew, and you chew, and you meditate, and your spirit will begin to be stirred by the word of God. Because that's what it's supposed to do. Stir you up, convict you, put a fire in you. Says, what am I doing? What am I doing? How am I serving Christ? How am I serving his body? And you'll find some amazing things. God will put a burden in you. God will stir you up in such a way that you would go, I need to do this. I need to do this because Christ sent me to do this. And you do it not to boast in yourself. Never point to yourself. Point to the one who gave you the medicine for them because that's what they need. People need medicine. SIN is very real and very deadly. And there's only one cure, and you didn't make it. But the, the maker of that medicine, he is sending you with a boatload of them. And you got about an hour and a half worth of, no, hour and 10 minutes worth of it today. And by God's grace, let's use it. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for the blood of your son. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. Lord, if we didn't thank you today for our Bibles, we thank you now. Thank you for our Bibles. Thank you, Lord, that for 1,500 years, Christians had none. But Lord, how did they know it so well? I think it's because they believed it and they needed it, and they thought about it, and they made it their whole lives, and thought life was based on Scripture. Please help us, Lord, to do that. Yes. We're so anemic in Bible reading and Bible preaching in our nation and believing the whole Word of God. Please help us, Lord. Raise up men and women, Lord, who are gospel preachers, Raise up men and women, Lord, that can 
occupied the place that is needed in this country to share the gospel, to pull down of strongholds, to pull down this inventions of men and ideas of men and philosophies and governments and things that are spouted from places like that, Lord, that destroy families and nations and bring to us, Lord God, gospel preachers, ministers anointed by your spirit to go and pull down strongholds, to pull down these fortresses of any ideas and thoughts in this country, in our family, within ourselves and our loved ones that will want to exalt themselves above Christ. Lord, we need you. We need you to stir people up in our church, in our fellowship. Make us long for, Lord God. Make us long for gospel preaching, Bible teaching. Make it long for us in our soul, Lord God, that we would desire even more than food. And Lord, as we commit this time to you, this first Sunday of the month, we look ahead to what's coming this month and we offer it to you and we say, Lord, help us to be true ministers of the gospel and help us not to be deceived by false ministers of the gospel. And we pray you would do this in Jesus.